Good morning. Uh, my name is Andy Clare. I'm one of the pastors here at Church Mill, and I am just thrilled to be sharing God's Word with you this morning. It's been a delight to, to pray for you and to be in the text for the last couple weeks preparing for this. A welcome to those who are joining us online. Thrilled to have you, and we've been praying for you this morning. Uh, our text will be Acts 13 this morning. So if you have your uh, real Bibles or your fake Bibles, feel free to flip there or uh, open, turn on there. Christianity is often thought of as a European religion. Uh, and there's, there's several reasons for this. But um, we need to look at if that's true or not. Europe is, is the location of hundreds of churches. So you could say, well, Europe is, is the center of Christianity. Uh, Europe is where the Catholic Church is headquartered. Europe um, still today has many nations who their official religion would be Christianity, even though there's very little practice of Christianity. So, so for these reasons and more, Christianity is sometimes conceived of as a European religion. But historically, Christianity is much broader than Europe. The objective archaeological evidence of history tells us this. Author Philip Jenkins reminds us that as early as 782 AD, so 782 A.D., that's 1,000 years before William Carey would be sent to China as a missionary. In 782 A.D., the Bible was being translated into Chinese. And during the same time, up through the 13th century, Iraq was as much a center of Christian culture as Ireland or Europe at that time. Christianity took root in the countries of Japan, India, and throughout the continent of Europe, long before any Renaissance expedition. In its earliest centuries, Christianity spread like a sprawling wildfire through Arizona in the summer. It, it did so without centralized intelligence, it did so without any political power, and it did so without an imperialistic agenda. So how did a small group of believers, right? We have, we have 12 and then 500, and a very small group of believers in a remote part of the Mediterranean coast influence the entire world with a certain way of thinking about God, creation, and ourselves. Our passage today in Acts 13 tells us how this process started. It, it can't tell us the whole expansion, but it tells us the start. And you'll notice today that the gospel did not spread through national power. The gospel did not spread through social change efforts. The gospel did not spread through new legislation or a focus on building stronger, healthier communities. As important as any one of those things might be, that is not how the gospel spread. What our passage will tell us this morning is that the gospel spreads as the church 
directed by the Holy Spirit, sends workers to preach the word. Let me repeat that. The gospel spreads as the church, directed by the Holy Spirit, sends workers to preach the word. So I want to take the next 25 minutes to help us see how Acts 13 verses 1 through 12 shows us that A, the gospel spreads. B, the church, directed by the Holy Spirit, sends. And C, it sends workers to preach the word. The gospel spreads as the church, directed by the Holy Spirit, sends workers to preach the word. Please follow along as, as we read the text of Acts 13, 1 through 12. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called uh, Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Maniah, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet by the name of Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elemus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Well, our, our passage has some very interesting pieces. We have a Holy Spirit who speaks. We have this laying on of hands by the church. Um, we have a Jewish false prophet. And we have a proconsul. And we have this bizarre spiritual showdown where, where Paul, through the power of God, the, the, the magician is blinded. We have some odd things here to talk about this morning. Let's start at the obvious place to start, the very end. Our passage today ends in belief. It ends in faith. Verse 12, when the proconsul, when he saw what had occurred, the proconsul believed. 
for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Our passage ends in faith, new faith. The gospel spreads. The proconsul believed. Isn't that amazing? The, the proconsul would have been the equivalent of, of a governor. So we could, we could think of Governor Ducey here in Arizona, and we can make equivalents. He was powerful, he was influential, he made policy, and likely uh, for this proconsul, he was probably wealthy given his position. He would have been used to being in charge and influencing other people. And people in power don't usually like to be told what to do. None of us do. But here, the proconsul believes the word of the Lord. And the fact that it says that he was eager to hear what Barnabas and Paul spoke about God is a reflection that God was already at work in his heart. And it's important to notice that the proconsul does not believe because of the sign. We see this powerful sign done, Paul magician showdown, but that's not what leads the proconsul to believe. It's not the sign that moves him to faith. What moves the proconsul to faith is the teaching of the Lord. This is a, an excellent reminder that the gospel is not primarily about what we do. Although what we do is important, the gospel is fundamentally about what we believe about God and ourselves. The magician, no doubt, could perform signs. Otherwise, he'd be a very bad magician. So he could perform signs. And as a false prophet, he could likely speak very convincing oracles as if they were from the mouth of God himself. But there's a difference between seeing something amazing and recognizing truth. Because if we're honest, each of us sees amazing things every day. If you think with me for just a moment about the human eye, your eye is able to detect millions of little things called photons every second. And your eye is able to take those photons, turn them into electrical synapses in a nerve canal, and then the brain's able to receive those electrical synapses and turn those uh, electrical shocks back into images. That's amazing. In fact, it's not that amazing that the magician went blind at all, right? It's surprising that we see. It would be natural not to see. And yet, even though we, each of us, see amazing things every day, things that would point us to the glory of God, things that would have us say, I was made by an infinitely wise creator. We see these things, but we don't worship God because of them. Losing sight, this blindness of the magician, isn't that great of a miracle. What happens is that when a lemus loses his sight, it exposes him. When it says that mist and darkness fell upon him, it exposes him as a fraud. He claimed to be one who saw. He claimed to be a prophet. But he was actually blind. And his physical blindness 
was a reflection of his spiritual blindness. And if we're honest with ourselves, we would admit that we are all blind. Don't you see how blind you are? I can see how blind I am. We have physical sight, but so often we can't actually see. Friend, don't, don't you want to see? The prophet Isaiah writes this in chapter 40, verse 3 of the book of Isaiah. Chapter 40, verse 3. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. The mouth of the Lord, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Even though Elimus had sight in the beginning of the story, he couldn't see the glory of God. He had made the paths of the Lord crooked. Right? The paths here are interesting. Isaiah prophesies, make straight the paths of the Lord, speaking into the future. Then John the Baptist comes, make straight the paths of the Lord, speaking into the future. Well, what does Paul say? You are making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. You see, by Paul's time, the paths had been made straight. Jesus had come. The glory of God had been revealed. And the glory of God was revealed on a cross of execution and in a tomb of resurrection. This false prophet, this magician, was seeking to make crooked the paths that Jesus had made straight. And in doing so, he did not give glory to God. The most serious blindness is not physical blindness. It is a blindness of the heart that refuses to see God's glory. But God exposes Elimus's blindness so that others would not be led astray by his blindness. When the blindness of the blind was exposed, the proconsul came to Christ. The proconsul saw the glory of God in Christ Jesus. This story gives us hope as Christians, above all else, regarding the blindness in our own hearts and in the world. The glory of the Lord as revealed in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has already been revealed, which is a guarantee that the gospel will spread. Even this week, Christian, and I uh, may have taken these from my own life this week, which is embarrassing to admit, but even this week, Christian, you've no doubt considered your own glory in different ways and chosen to live in a spiritual blindness to God's glory. Perhaps, uh, and this is just embarrassing, 
But perhaps you looked in the mirror for a minute too long this morning when getting ready to come worship God, internally contemplating your own, your own worthiness to be praised, maybe doing a little thunder flex. Perhaps you thought a little too much about your vanguard or fidelity account this week, wondering where the market is headed and what a good decision you made two months ago to buy in. Perhaps you chose to go to your girlfriend's house again, knowing that her parents weren't home and knowing that likely you would both fall into sexual temptation and sin. In different ways, even as Christians redeemed by the blood of our Savior, we all are tempted to live in blindness still, failing to see what the proconsul saw, that the teaching of the Lord gives exclusive glory to Christ Jesus. Our goal as Christians is not simply to behave better. It's not simply to perform better in our moral lives. Our goal as Christians is to feast on the glory of God in Christ Jesus, to be ultimately satisfied by the wonders that abound in our Savior, to focus on his holiness, his provision, his goodness, his love, his power, his justice, all as it is displayed on a Roman cross and bursting out of a Jewish grave. Would that be our vision today, church? Would that be our true sight? Christian, our, our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. He will hold us fast. But every day, through the normal means of grace that God provides, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus and the glory that's revealed in him alone. Even now, sitting in our chairs, we can pray, Jesus, you are glorious. Give me eyes to see you. Jesus, you are glorious. Give me eyes to see you. Our story ends with belief. One man is blinded, another one receives sight. The proconsul believes the teaching of the Lord. He believes the message of the cross that Jesus, the God man, died to save sinners and to reconcile people back to a relationship with God. But how did the proconsul come to hear this in the first place? How did the gospel come to him? The proconsul heard this gospel because the church in Antioch, directed by the Holy Spirit, sent workers to preach the word of God. This brings us back to our main point. The gospel spreads as the church, directed by the Holy Spirit, sends workers to preach the word. The beginning of Acts 13 preserves a fascinating historical account that the church, directed by the Spirit, sends. The church of Antioch gathered in worshiping and fasting, and they hear the voice of the Spirit. Given what Paul writes about 
prophets in 1 Corinthians, it is likely that the Holy Spirit spoke through one of the prophets present in the church and that after the church considered that prophecy, according to Thessalonians, testing the prophetic word, they agreed that this was the leading of the Holy Spirit in their midst. But look at what verse 2 says. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So the Holy Spirit, or the church is thinking about sending Paul and Barnabas, but it's the Holy Spirit's agenda. Church, Christian, when, when Jesus said, I won't leave you as orphans, he meant it. Church, Jesus is not physically with us. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is ascended. But we're not alone. We're not orphans. As we gather, as we worship, as we pray, as we fast, as we sing, as we sit under God's word, the Holy Spirit is in our midst, leading us, guiding us, giving us peace. The Holy Spirit is with us, church. And because the Holy Spirit is with us, he sets our agenda. Look with me at verse 3. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. So according to verse 3, who sends off Barnabas and Saul? The, the church does. But let's look at verse 4. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, who sends out Barnabas and Saul? The Holy Spirit does. Church, whether you currently believe this or not, you, church, play an essential role in sharing God's presence on earth. The church plays the essential role in sharing God's presence on earth. Yes, God is present everywhere, from the tip of the Arctic to the tip of the Antarctic. And yes, God can act in any way he chooses in the world. But what he's telling us is that he chooses to use the church. Jesus tells Peter in the Gospels that, that the church would be given the keys to the kingdom of God. And later in the New Testament, the church is described as a, as a buttress and pillar of truth. Church, you, church on mill, you are God's plan A for his kingdom advance. And there is no plan B. Left to our own devices, this is a comical thought. History has shown that given enough time and people, a church family can divide over which color of carpet to buy. And, and when that happens, it's a good thing when that church shuts down. But when a church is focused on mission, when a church together agrees that the glory of God 
manifested among the nations will be our focus, then that church is never left to its own devices. The Spirit will govern His church and produce fruitful laborers for Christ's kingdom. The church who builds on the foundation of Christ and trusts in the promises of God's word will not only thrive, it will multiply, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ throughout the world. God doesn't just build up a church to build up a church. Uh, God's not up in heaven uh, thinking of all these churches and thinking, how can I make them as big as possible? Like, we got to shove more people in there. Fire code, who cares? That, that's not what God's doing. God doesn't build up a church just to build it up. God builds up a church to send people out. Church, as I prepared this passage this week, I was overwhelmed with gratitude for you. You are a church that labors to train up and send out workers. And I want to thank you for your long-term faithful obedience to God and your love for our neighbors and the nations. In the four years that I've been here, we sent out uh, Brian Jerry to replant Light in the Desert Church. Uh, We had Brian Jerry on this stage and we laid hands on him praying for him, and we sent him out. The Holy Spirit sent him out. We sent out Phil and Julie Hoshawara to start church planting in Thailand. And we had Phil and Julie on this stage, and we laid hands on them and prayed for them, and we sent them out. The Holy Spirit sent them out. And we've invested... uh, in, in, in smaller ways, but in no less significant, in dozens of college students and previous members who are now not with us. They're people that a year ago we would have hated to see them leave. But now they're in churches across the county, across the state, and around the world. In Chandler, Tucson, Texas, Malaysia, India, China. And they're there witnessing to the glory of God. Church, we've, we've sent them out. As we send people out, the Holy Spirit sends people out. God himself is doing this work, church. It's a marvelous thing to behold and be a part of. We are simply being obedient to God's plan to rescue the lost. By God's grace, we will continue to raise up leaders within our church whom we can send out, having prayed, fasted, and laid hands on them as they did in Acts 13. So let's recircle now to our main point. We've talked about the gospel spreads. The proconsul believed the gospel spreads as the church, directed by the Holy Spirit, sends. Well, what are we sending, Church on Mill? We're sending workers to preach the word. The church doesn't send out workers to just do anything. 
The church, in the power of the Holy Spirit, sends workers to preach. Verse 5, when they arrived at Salamis, what did they do? They proclaimed the word of God. Verse 7, Sergius Paulus summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the words of God. Verse 12, the proconsul was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Church, the temptation of the church will always to be to try and make the message of Jesus less offensive and less ridiculous than it actually is. All humanity is condemned. God's judgment is coming. That's absurd. But God has made a way. Man can be saved. Jesus died to save. Absurd. If you will but have faith in the work and person of this Jesus, you can be reconciled to God. You can have peace with God through faith. You can be a son of God, a daughter of God. No matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, God can and will permanently and infinitely forgive you. That's absurd. When you die, God will welcome you into his presence forever. That's absurd. The church has not been given any message less than this. The job of the church is not to plant trees to avert ecological crisis. The job of the church is not to build a stronger, healthier, safer community. The job of the church is not to end homelessness. Certainly, as individual Christians get saved, these things will happen. The good fruit of a Christian life will overflow into the community. But that's not the mission of the church. The work and mission of the gathered church is together proclaim the good news that Jesus saves and to send people out. So what do we do with this passage? What, what do we walk away from acting, thinking, believing? How does this change how you live? How does this change how I live? Here are some key takeaways for, for us to walk away from Acts 13 with. Christian, we are living in an increasingly divided and unstable society. But Christian, your faith does not need political power. You do not need any certain kind of outcome in the next election to have countless opportunities to witness to the glory of Christ. God has appointed his church not a government, not a politician, not a popular celebrity, as the means by which truth, knowledge, and freedom in Christ is made known. 
And you might think, wow, that's kind of egotistical to think that we are the bearers of truth. And that's at least until you realize that God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Don't sometimes you think that when we all sing together and we sit for 45 minutes to listen to a teaching, there's a little bit of absurdity in that? It's because the wisdom of God shames the wisdom of this world. God has appointed his church and nothing else to advance his kingdom. Throughout the centuries, churches have come and gone. Churches have appeared and been planted and churches have disappeared. But the church of Jesus Christ is thriving and it continues to grow. The church will flourish as she guards the straight paths of salvation and preaches the word of the Lord and as she seeks to make Christ known locally and abroad. Christian, there are many opportunities to share the gospel, but I want to ask you a question. And I, I don't mean this to be awkward or for there to be any sense of condemnation in what God has called you to today. But, you need to ask this question. Has God called you to be a worker? Has God called you to missions? If so, uh, as, as one of the elders and pastors of this church, I'd love to connect with you. It could be that that is the Holy Spirit's leading and we'd love nothing more than to be part of what God is doing and sending out people to proclaim his good news of salvation. If you're a non-Christian, first of all, just thank you. Um, This has been an odd message, talking about Christianity going to the ends of the the world, right? Uh, Thank you for your humility and your patience to get to know what do we believe that God is doing in ultimate reality. And it could be that as a non-Christian, you've experienced Christians with significant uh, political, social agendas that have been uh, deeply hurtful and wounding and troubling in your life. And and I just want to say that I'm sorry about that. Christians, just just like you, non-Christian, need divine and infinite grace. And I would just encourage you that the Christian message is fundamentally not about what's happening physically in this world, but it's what God is doing spiritually to rescue people out of a kingdom of darkness, of blindness, and to put them into a kingdom of of love and light. The spread of Christianity is, is not about Um, how we're going to vote this November. The spread of Christianity is about uh, voting in our spirit that Jesus is king. And that's how his church is supposed to spread. If you're a non-believer, we'd love to talk to you more about how Jesus has worked in our heart to show us that his glory is worth more than any other glory we could conceive of. And how we've internally voted that, Jesus, you are the king in my heart. We'd love to talk with you more about that.
The gospel spreads. That is a sure fact. The gospel spreads as the church, directed by the Holy Spirit, sends out workers to preach the word. May we continue to grow as a church that does just that. Join me in prayer. Father, you are the God that has created an eternity past. That you would see fit to have created. And that in time you would appoint a savior, a deliverer. And that you would love your creation. And though we rebel against you, you're faithful to us. God, I just pray that as Church on Mill continues to gather, as we continue to prayerfully seek your will in our individual lives and as a corporate body that you've brought together, Holy Spirit, lead us. Give us wisdom. Lord, if there are uh, men and women that you are calling to serve you in a full-time capacity, raise them up. Let us invest well in these men and women so that your gospel might be sent out by the Holy Spirit. I pray for any non-believer, someone who has not yet decided that Jesus is the only glory worth pursuing. I thank you for their lives. I thank you that uh, you would have created them. And I pray that you'd be gracious in their lives, that they would come to know the peace that surpasses understanding that comes from walking in a relationship with you, God. God, I thank you for this morning and I ask that as we go into this week, uh, that spirit, you would go with us. You'd equip us to speak your words, um, to be faithful witnesses to the ends of the, worth, of the ends of the earth of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago and what he's continuing to do. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.